0: When you say no to the thing that you love so much over and over again, it it creeps up on you in your dreams. And is there room for 10%? It's kind of human for us to indulge every once in a while. And if it means indulging a little bit, I think in the grand scheme of things, it's not going to kill us.
1: Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance.
2: You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's cool fact of the day is that penguins can only taste two of the five food tastes that we like to think we have, even though we really actually have seven if you count carbon dioxide and umami, and maybe eight if you count fat, which is another taste we have that's just fat. Kind of interesting. But these poor penguins, no wonder they really eat all those weird fish because they only have two. And... Those, uh, most vertebrates like us, taste all these five things. Most birds get four, but they can't taste sweet. And a little while ago, scientists at the University of Michigan found that penguins just have sour and salty. And genetic analysis, which which is so cool, because now we can do this stuff. This was invisible to humans for all of history until like the last five years. Uh, But anyway, genetic analysis figured out that The common ancestor of penguins lost them, too, for some reason. And here's the reason. It's because of cold. And a few other things that penguins do is also caused by cold exposure. We think that between 60 and 23 million years ago, as those weird-looking birds evolved, they split into five different species at a time when there were periods of dramatic climate cooling in Antarctica. And it turns out that bitter and umami receptors just don't work in low temperatures, So, penguin said, why would I build, go to the biological work, the mitochondrial effort of building these things? I don't need to. So, they quit doing it, which is awesome. And that's probably also, too, why they swallow their food whole, and their tongues have these spike-like things called papilliae, which let them grip their prey. Anyhow, you ever wonder why you have a sharp, spiked tongue that can only taste bitter and salty? It's probably because you're a penguin. But if not... The fact that we can dissect it in that level of detail is just a tiny example of the huge universe of knowledge that's just been unlocked by our genetics, our understanding of the world around us is evolving every day, and I get excited by cool stuff like this because no one even knew that penguins had those limitations, much less why, but now we know that's one more little drop in the huge bucket of human knowledge that's expanding exponentially, and that should make all of us happy. For 25 years, I've had a strong passion for understanding the science behind why we age and what we can do about it. One of the most groundbreaking discoveries in the last two decades is senolytics. Senolytics are plant-derived or pharmaceutical ingredients that can help your body drop old, worn-out cells. Scientists call them senescent cells, and in my books, I call them zombie cells. As you age, those senescent cells build up in your body. They live for a long time, and they eat up your energy. There is a hack for this. It's called Qualia Synolytic. Your podcast sponsor, Neurohacker Collective, created Qualia Synolytic. It eliminates those zombie cells and has a clinical study that supports its effectiveness. I really felt a difference in how my body moved after just a couple months on Qualia Synolytic. It's upped my energy level even more, and my joints feel really good. If you're over 30... And you want to use a clinically tested formula to help you feel younger. Try Qualia Synolytic. To get younger now, visit neurohacker.com slash Dave and try it risk-free for up to 100 days. Use code Dave at checkout to get 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave. Use code Dave. When you hear someone talk about blood sugar, you might zone out. That's because a lot of us think that it's only relevant to people with type 2 diabetes. But blood sugar is a topic that everyone should understand. If you want to feel good and have energy, you need to balance your blood sugar. Research shows that even healthy people have wild swings in their blood sugar right after they eat, and spikes in blood sugar make your pancreas work harder. They also make you older, and they put you at a greater risk for weight gain, heart attack, and stroke. Here's why I'm talking about this. Bioptimizers has a new product called Blood Sugar Breakthrough. You take two capsules 15 minutes before a meal. Your body will push carbs and glucose into your muscles for use as fuel instead of fat. That means you get stable energy and you don't have that post-meal crash. Better yet, you can improve your workouts and get better gains at the gym. But the biggest benefit is that it'll improve your overall health. Just go to bloodsugarbreakthrough.health for an exclusive 10% off. Now, today's guest is neither a penguin nor someone who I believe is planning to live to 180, although I might ask her that later. She is a TV chef, a holistic nutritionist, and an inventor with 25 years of experience in the food industry who just wrote a book called Eat Like You Give a Fork, The Real Dish on Eating to Thrive. I'm talking about none other than Mariah Ibrahim. Mariah, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you, Dave. It's so great to be here.
2: I wanted to have you on today to talk about this notion of eating clean. And mm. I mean, I'm certainly considered to be one of those people there, but the definition of clean is so different uh, for different people. Why did we need a book about eating clean?
0: Yeah, you know, and it's it's kind of one of those things that's defined so differently by different people. And, you know, for me, the bottom line is we're eating as nature intended. We're eating as close to the to the source of food and avoiding food that's highly processed and adulterated. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean ruling out whole food groups per se. I think some people's explanations might be that drastic, but for me, it's really more about eating food in an identifiable form, you know, lots of fresh produce. Uh, proteins that are raised the way they should be, eating the foods that nature has created for them, and avoiding foods that come highly processed from a plant. It doesn't mean that you can't have packaged foods because I think that packaged foods have a place. And I think that um, foods that are in a form that allow us to to eat on the go and snack, et cetera, and, and have the variety that we love are completely viable. It's just, can you identify the ingredients that are in that package? And I think that really, to me, is the 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 nascence of what eating clean means.
2: Isn't that a little <laughs> bit simplistic? I can identify that. That was a whole wheat, and it had a whole bunch of uh, gluten in it, which is inflammatory, but I could identify it. In fact, hey, it was even organic. And oh, there's some seaweed in it, which is a source of carrageenan, which pokes holes in your gut, and things like that. Like. of plants will kill you if you eat them. If people don't believe me, go out into the forest and just eat a bunch of the plants you see and then call me from the hospital, right? Um, So like, like is is that the definition of clean, you you know what it is? Or do you need to know what it does to you as well?
0: I think of course you need to know what it does to you. But I will also say that the way foods are brought to us vary so significantly. I'll give you an example. I studied abroad. I lived in Italy for um, about a year and I never, ever had any issues with eating wheat there. I never had issues with eating pasta. It, 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 it never gave me gut problems, but here I had a whole plethora of problems from eating wheat and actually had to go completely gluten-free. So, you know, to me, it's it's a little bit about where you are and what that, um, that origin of that product is but at the same time, it's about quantity and combination. So, you know, am I saying just, you know, eat plants and only eat plants? No, I think there's definitely an important combination of macronutrients that we need every day. We need our essential amino acids. We need all of those things. So it's not off the deep end on one side or the other. I think it's it's really about balance, but being um being conscientious of what you're putting in your body to feed it to the core. And it's not calorie counting. So I think that to me is another thing where people get into this mindset of, you know, eating clean means, you know, really restricting your calories and making sure that you're only eating, you know, this type of vegetable or this type of protein. And it doesn't necessarily have to be that at all.
2: Um, You can definitely get orthorexia and be really restrictive. And one of the things about your book that's um, that's actually really cool is you're you're not not that overall uh, restrictive about it. In fact, you tell people, look, 90-10, just eat. Uh, 90% of the time, do this, and you can probably get away with 10% of the time, but it, it seems to like get given for you. Gluten, you're not really 90-10 on gluten, are you?
0: Um, no, and I'll tell you again, like for me, it's not that I'm eating it all the time. And Gluten is a wheat protein that some people have a real problem with and some people don't. I'm not saying eat pasta every day. I'm saying if 10% of the time you're eating, you know, if you're eating very conscientiously, you're eating a lot of a variety of plants. You're eating all the colors of the rainbow. You're getting your um, lean proteins in, even sometimes getting, you know, the not so lean proteins. in. fatty proteins better? (laughs) You're getting a good amount of fat in. You're doing all of those things 10% of the time. If I want a plate of pasta, I'm going to eat the freaking pasta. I don't want a pasta substitute. I, I just really feel strongly about this because I feel what ends up happening is when you tell people don't eat this thing, but they love it, there is a boomerang effect that happens. They end up going back to it. And all my coaching, I find this over and over again, they'll follow the path and they'll leave it out completely. But then there's that breaking point and it's like the point of no return. And so my, I guess it's a psychological mindset in a lot of ways. When you say no to the thing that you love so much over and over again, it it creeps up on you in your dreams. And is there room for 10%? It's kind of human for us to indulge every once in a while. And if it means indulging a little bit, I think in the grand scheme of things, it's not going to kill us.
2: So it's sort of an eat. Cleanish perspective, uh, because it, it it's not it, it's not always there. Right? I mean, I'm I'm with you to some extent. I'll tell you that most people uh, who really eliminate gluten that I know of, if if they do, especially in the U.S., decide that oh, I'm going to go eat the pasta. They're probably not going to like themselves as much for the next couple of days. They might not realize oh, I got a pimple or I was cranky, or I was more tired, or my sleep quality went down. You know, they're there subtle effects for some people. Other people, it's you know, doubled over uh, gut-wrenching problems, in which case, we well, you got some issues. Sure. But I did recently uh, go to Europe, and uh, I don't want my kids to be you know, afraid of gluten or anything like that. So I'm like, hey, we're gonna go eat a croissant. And I did it because it was in Europe, and the wheat there really <laughs> does make you feel different. It doesn't have glyphosate on it and it's a different species, and they have different species of yeast that are more relaxed than angry American yeast. Uh, so I said, all right, I'm gonna take the hit, I'll take some charcoal too, and you know, my, my 10-year-old son's like, what, you're gonna eat gluten? I'm like, yeah, you are too, give it a shot. And <laughs> so the, the kids uh, ate them, and funny enough, my daughter said, I feel fine, and she did, and my son the next morning was like, "I actually, my stomach doesn't really like this very much, I just don't want any more, it was good, but not that good. <laughs> uh, and it's one of those things where, okay, if, if a cheat day Decimates you. Maybe you shouldn't eat that. But if it's if it's not bad for you, but it's not good for either, like that feels like that's more of a clean eating strategy than just you know, the stuff you love the most that causes you the most harm.
0: I agree with you. I mean, you know, and I'm 100 percent on board with the whole yeast piece. I think we use a lot of very aggressive, fast rising yeast that cause a lot of gut issues here in the U.S. that you don't find in other places. Um, And oftentimes it is not just the gluten, but everything else that gets added in to that, you know, processed product. But here's the thing, you went ahead and you tried it, right? And you gave your kids permission to try it. So it was kind of like, it took away the mystique. It's, you know, I, I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this, but at home, I allow my kids to have a little wine with dinner. They're not of age to drink.
2: Oh no, you you lived in Italy for a year, so legally you're allowed to do that.
0: (laughs) I mean, (laughs) my parents did it growing up, you know? And so I took away the mystique of drinking for them. You know, it's not like I need to go out and get hammered. It's, all right, I have it at home and I have a sip and I I could take it or leave it. So the same thing happens with food. You give yourself some permission, some leeway, because the minute you tell an adult no, it backfires and they backfire on themselves. So it's grace. And if you try the gluten and it, it wreaks havoc on you and you feel you know like you're hungover the next day practically or bent over, you're not gonna have it anymore. But that's because you made that decision rather than somebody telling you, here's a plan and I'm telling you not to have this, this and this.
2: It's really interesting if people go for a little while and eat not a lot of different stuff so you sort of get rid of most or all of the reactions. And that's part of what you you talk about in your book. It's certainly, the Bulletproof Diet has a two-week period. At the end of that, you are you might realize, wow, some of these foods do way more than I thought they did. Uh, but they may not do that to someone else next to you. So anytime I see one of these things that says, you know, never eat this again for everyone, you know that it's probably a little bit simplistic. Um, mm-hmm. Case in point, uh, potatoes. A huge number of people handle properly cooked potatoes pretty well. If you're nightshade intolerant genetically, the way I am and one of my kids is. Um, my my son was like, Daddy, can you rub my neck? It really hurts. And it was hurting all the time. He had these weird knots, the same knots I used to have. Mm. And so we asked the school and they were putting potatoes in the soup they were giving him, even though he's not supposed to be eating nightshades. And we, we reverse troubleshot it. For, but for about six weeks, he was in a meaningful amount of pain. And to this day, he's like, you know what? I'm not eating something with potatoes in it because I really don't like it when my neck hurts. And it's one of those things where my daughter's like, pass the potato, I, I like that stuff. And she doesn't have that gene. Sure. Uh, so even if for me, I'm like, hey, these are on the suspect foods, but for you to know what your clean is, it, it's gonna be a little bit different. But what I think you and I and a lot of people have grown, if you can't even identify what it is on the package, it's you know got an impossible label with You know, an invented molecule and a bunch of other chemicals to make potatoes taste like something they're not. Um, You could do the same thing, you know, with uh, hydrogen and fat, sugar, and uh, corn syrup, and whatever else, and you you can make a a Frankenfood that way. How do you How do you coach people to to know how to know how or where to draw the line?
0: You know, I I really start in the kitchen by teaching them. About food and about taste and experiencing the essence of a flavor in the pure sense of a food. Um, you know, I went to culinary school and I found that it was really it was it was hard for me because I felt like everything was sort of buried in a sauce or a fat or yeah. or something else. But when I would go to the farmers' market and I would taste, you know, a, a Brussels sprout just raw or I would taste a carrot, a, a beautiful purple carrot, like that's what sang to me. And so my style of cooking is really, it, it is pretty simplistic. I'm, I'm not really all about a lot of heavy sauces and, um, and flavorings and, and things like that. I like to really embrace the product. And so where I start with people is a taste bud reset. You know, you were talking about the penguins and their and their taste buds well we come with a set of taste buds and we don't really exercise them very much especially here in the US i think you know most people would you know if you stick out your tongue right on the tip of your tongue is your sweet and your salty taste buds well how about exploring the the sour and the umami and the bitter and then allowing that to lead you to what you end up craving and I am firmly of the belief when you start to eat food without all of this stuff added on, you explore a different side of what you love. Uh, and I, you know, I was a carboholic for a long time. I mean, self-admitted, you know, if it was round and brown, I was, eat- I was eating it, you know, bagels, cookies, English muffins, you name it. And I had to wean myself off of that. But Do In doing so, find a different palate for myself. And it's true. You can crave broccoli and Brussels sprouts over brownies. And people laugh when I say that, but it's essential. And and not a lot of people are really focusing on that right now. They're telling you, okay, these are the foods that you should be eating, and these are the foods that are healthy. But if you're looking at somebody that was raised on tater tots and hot dogs and, and SpaghettiOs, You know, there is a a reprocessing of the data, a recoding, if you will, of the software, and that's what happens with that taste bud reset in the beginning of the book.
2: It's actually a really powerful practice, and I appreciated the way you called it out in the book. Uh, All of the things I know about neuroscience, and I I started 40 years of Zen, so I know a thing or two about neuroscience, and we do brain training and clinical grade EEG scans and all that kind of stuff, uh, in the context of upgrading humans, and we really are advanced pattern matching uh, systems, and we're driven at a core to eat everything so we don't starve. And I, I went through a phase as I was losing the hundred pounds that I lost. Uh, there was a time, you know, my my early mid twenties where I'd say, "Okay, uh, I'm going to go get my you know triple tall extra hot latte uh, at the the green logo coffee people," um, <laughs> and uh I really loved, you know, the effect of the caffeine. But of course I was crashing later. But every time I'd go there, I'd look at that pastry case. And I'm like, man, those scones. And they were like called me. And I learned, okay, I'm not gonna do that. But after about maybe three years of that, I got to the point where I would look at the scones, but the little part inside of you that says, oh, food, it was gone. So my pattern matching system no longer saw those as something that I eat. So the cravings went away. And then I haven't eaten fast food in a very long time because I universally feel like crap afterwards. So I drive past McDonald's or Taco Bell or whatever and I don't see it anymore. And and so people say, oh, I'm at the office next to the Taco Bell, I'm like, where's the Taco Bell? And like, Dave, you've been driving past that every day for five years, how could you not know where Taco Bell is? I'm like, I don't know, I didn't know where the notary public was because I never wanted to get anything notarized. Like it was not relevant to my life 100%. That's the power of that first strategy that you have there about retraining your taste buds Is there a, a specific trick that you would offer for people listening the easiest or fastest way to not have those cravings?
0: Yeah, well at first it starts with what you're taking out and certainly taking out sugar in all forms Um, And in that taste bud reset, we're taking out everything from, you know, beans to grains to dairy to um, any sort of added sugar, whether it be, you know, organic coconut sugar. You know, it doesn't matter any kind of sugar, any kind of stevia, any kind of sweetener in general. And then we're focusing on what we're adding. So we're adding in the bitter Uh, flavors. We're adding in leafy greens. I'm giving people an all-you-can-eat buffet, basically, of vegetables that are kind of approved, if you will, for that reset. You know, everything from asparagus to broccoli to Brussels sprouts, pretty much all the non-starchy vegetables. And and also introducing people to seaweed. You mentioned seaweed. Seaweed in its truest, uh, I think the meaning of seaweed and what it can bring to the table is so powerful. And it helps to give you that array of amino acids, which is that umami flavor profile that we want people to recognize and and focus on. Um, I do encourage people to try tomatoes. I recognize that it's a nightshade vegetable. So if it doesn't cause an inflammatory reaction and and that's something that you're good with, you know, sun-dried tomatoes are wonderful. um, And usually if people do have a reaction, cooking them helps. So doing a sun dried or doing a cooked tomato sauce can help you get around that. Um, And then
2: don't tomatoes have sugar in them though, too.
0: Yeah, but it's it's to help bolster that umami profile. So I'm cutting out other processed sugars and sugar in other forms because the, the tomato itself has so much of that concentrated umami flavor in it. And it can be a great resource or product for people that don't eat meat. Because certainly in that reset, I'm not limiting you to, you know, not eating meat. For example, you can have chicken, you can have turkey, you can have fish, you can have bison beef, um, anything that has eaten properly. You know, I encourage people to do that economically. I know it's hard sometimes to get that grass finished beef, but if you can do it, I encourage it.
2: If you order it online, it's not more expensive than you're likely spending at a local grocery store. It's like six bucks a pound. And you don't need to eat a pound of it already. You're talking a couple ounces. So if you have a freezer, it's economical. If you don't have a freezer, it's going to be work.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I agree with you. I think there's there's so many resources now to be able to get it. Um, But mushrooms also are another really great umami food that a non-meat eater can have. Because this this process is important for everybody, you know. I, I'm really, you know, it's funny. Every time there's a documentary that comes out that there's a new, you know, restrictive kind of diet or approach being explored, I get a million questions. And
2: oh, so you're talking this about was, that Game Changers documentary? Yeah,
0: exactly. I just wrote yeah, a big I
2: mean, analysis of that thing like seriously bad science actually no science oh look your blood is cloudy because it's it's transporting energy oh oh, great anyway sorry i'll get off my i'll get off my uh my soapbox there but in case you didn't want to mention it yeah
0: you can cut data however you want to prove a point is Uh is the truth and so um what i what i really wanted to create was sort of a a non you know non-label approach and that's why it is a little bit more um you know, I guess flexible, you could say, but flexible with a purpose, because I do encourage people to eat, you know, uh, a more of a vegan approach and do an intermittent approach uh, at least a couple days a week. I do want them to be conscientious of the proteins that they're getting. I do want them to eat more fat. Fat is not a four letter word. I know you know that all too well, but, you know, it's even getting people to even getting people to understand that in our day and age is surprising to me because there's so much great data that shows what fat can do for you. So it's non- agnostic, if you will, in its approach. Whether you are a vegan because you've chosen to be that way or you are, you know, a hardcore meat eater, there's something for everybody.
2: There is. and it might surprise people who haven't read uh, any of, of my books. The Bulletproof Diet was, uh, to my knowledge, the first book that was advocating a one-day-a-week protein fast, where even if you're eating vegetables, you eat low-protein vegetables. You get less than 15 grams of protein a day to turn on autophagy. You can just fast for 24 hours, or if you wanted to eat, you eat fat and you eat some some plants, but not a lot of protein. And magically, when you do that, your body will do something different. Uh, so there's nothing wrong with skipping meat for a couple days of the week. If you skip animal fats altogether, you're probably not gonna like where your cell membranes end up, and that's why a lot of people, including me, when I was a, a very uh, well-educated raw vegan why it end, ends up with you know, fractured teeth and yeah. uh, autoimmune issues. <laughs> but, <laughs> so you can choose to be vegan, uh, but uh, you'll come back most likely to being an omnivore if you like to feel good. Um, that's been uh, uh, my experience from just the millions of people who follow, follow uh, my work and share their experiences. There, there's some recovery that happens.
0: And I, you know, a lot of my recipes, you know, they they'll interchange cooking with ghee yeah. versus cooking with coconut oil. I mean, right. at the end of the day, I think what's really important is that we focus on the quality of the food that we're getting and that we eat with intention. Because here's what happens, you were talking about going by a Taco Bell and not even seeing it. You know, it mm. literally leaves your conscious mind. It's because you have done something now that gives you joy and pleasure. There's nothing worse than having digestive issues. I mean, it, it it affects everything. It affects your ability to just be a normal human being every day. I mean, I went through ten years pretty much of a serious brain fog yeah. from de- depriving myself of the nutrients that I needed to function as a normal human being. And consequently, my memory from that time of my life, it's, it's gone. I, I really don't remember a lot of things from that time period. And it's excruciating for me to even say that, but having gone through it, what it's taught me is what feels good for me, it's not what other people dictate. It's yeah. what absolutely is a personal thing. And why would I, why would I put myself out there again? in that place that was like a desert and, and feel horrible when I feel awesome and shoot, I turned 50 this year and I don't think I've ever felt more vibrant and well balanced in my approach. And I, I, you know, I, I think that flexibility, but still focusing on a core system that works where you're, you're exercising your metabolism, you're flexing your taste buds, you're, Exploring a variety of different, you know, macronutrients and having fun with food. I want to bring people back into the kitchen and have Mm -hmm. that that honest interaction with the product, with what grows from the ground, with with what comes from the earth, and enjoy the art of putting a meal together. It's so satisfying, and it, it just when you when you want to go out to eat and grab something fat, it just it's you're cheating yourself. It's not even like you know, you're yeah. giving yourself a treat. You're cheating yourself of an amazing experience.
2: What were you doing for that 10 years that gave you the brain fog?
0: What do you think?
2: Uh, were you uh, <coughs> vegan?
0: <sighs> I was largely vegan, mostly vegetarian and eating way too many carbs. Yeah, Way, way too many processed carbs. I mean, that's when that was my time when I was telling you I was if it was round and brown, I was eating it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, part of that was an eating disorder. I, I, you know, it was, it was really hard for me to admit it and hard for me to deal with it. But I had a lot of dysmorphia. I suffered from anorexia and bulimia. And, um, you know, it was it, it came from a place of being from a family where sitting down at the table was not just about a meal. Sitting at the table was eating as much food as you could possibly stomach. And I come from a family of immigrants. I think that there is intrinsic in the immigrant mentality, and I hope I don't get bashed for this, but this is just my opinion, is this like starvation mentality where if you don't eat as much as you can, then something is going to happen to you and you might not find food tomorrow.
2: Are you kidding? If someone bashes you for that, it's because they're dumb. I'll just be really straightforward here's the thing we know that if your grandparents or great-grandparents went through a famine that your odds of getting type 2 diabetes go up so there's a provable epigenetic effect of that and even my uh, my grandmother who's 97 now a former nuclear engineer and I still remember when I was a kid, she would make these like disgusting uh, slim fasts from the 80s kind of things. And then, uh, so she'd drink that and then she'd put water in there to rinse out the cup and then drink that water to make sure she got every calorie because she went through the Great Depression. And because when she sure. was a child, she did not have enough food on some days. And we learned that at a cellular level. It's not a conscious thing. And of course, we pass that down to our kids. And it's one of the reasons that eat everything is wired into our biology because i guarantee you every life form alive went through a period where its ancestors i don't care if you're a bacteria a tree or a mouse or a human at some point your ancestors some of them starved to death and the ones who survived learned that you must eat everything so it's not it, it like it's just how life works uh, so yeah and, you, you and can't and, bash well, someone for for talking about that it's just real
0: yeah and and you know i don't you know i Certainly, like my parents and my family, you know, we come from Middle Eastern roots. And so, eating is very much also about a gathering and bringing people to the table and being hospitable. And the idea that you want to give people as much food and as much, you know, nourishment as you possibly can so you feel gracious. Um, And so, I really had to unlearn that. I had to unlearn this whole idea that food was about or eating too much or eating a lot in one sitting was about honoring my mom because she made this meal for me. It's, it's not that it's honoring myself and honoring how I feel so that I can function. And from that 10 year fog came a lot of just reconciling of pain, you know, and I think a lot of eating disorders for people, you know, obviously it, it, stems from pain and it stems from dealing with a trauma, but we have so many modified, I believe, you know, so much of that with with our diets that we're embracing these days is a modified form of that, you know, orthorexia. So what do we do? Do we put everything back on the table and allow people to eat whatever they want and just, you know, give them no boundaries? I think there's something in the middle and that's really... What I try to create with this book is giving you boundaries and giving you strategies to be able to retrain your taste buds and focus on the right nutrients and know how to meal prep and know how to get yourself ready for the week, because that's so important for our lifestyles, but at the same time, give you a little bit of flexibility so that you don't swing like a pendulum from one side to the other, because that's not healthy either.
2: I went through many years when I was heavy where I, I would I would just be like, if I don't eat right now, I'm gonna have to kill someone and eat them. I, you just get this profound hunger. And one of the things that became really powerful for me eventually after I did a lot of the Bulletproof Diet work and, and the development of that book uh, was just to learn to be comfortable intermittent fasting or just not going a day without eating so then if I'm in a situation and there's nothing that I would identify as food, I could say, you know what, I'm just not gonna eat. Like, uh, I'll just have a glass of water. I'm not gonna lose my energy. My brain's gonna keep working. Uh, I'm not gonna get hangry and hypoglybitchy, which are words that would have described <laughs> me uh, very accurately. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, but, so it came down to this freedom from feeling like I was gonna die if I didn't eat something, so I could choose not to eat junk food that I knew was was not what I wanted. But also the ability to say, you know what, this isn't junk food. It's not what I really, it's not the perfect food, but it's within tolerances for me to feel pretty good. Uh, so I'm going to do it, and I'm not going to feel a twinge of guilt or shame or any of that kind of stuff. And I, I think you're dialing in on that uh, in the way you write your book on how do you, how do you get that mindset that's, uh, you know, you're not going to eat the bowl of you know heroin crunch. <laughs> I mean, if, if that's something that you know, if I eat that, I'm gonna crave it every day for two weeks. <laughs> so yeah. may, maybe that is, just isn't on my thing, but you're not gonna be like, oh, there's nothing else to eat, so I just did that because otherwise I was gonna die, And that little voice right. of saying it. So there, there's, yeah. it's a very hard thing to explain to people, though, who've never experienced that freedom from, uh, from feeling like you're gonna die if you don't eat right now.
0: I think that once you get into a place where you know what feels good for you, and You practice it over and over again. What you find is that you don't have to reinvent the wheel all the time. You know, I think, you know, obviously, naturally, our body craves more food at times because we're more active and it craves less food at other times. But if you were to just take somebody that is just starting down this path and you gave them a set of tools and you said, you know, these are the tools that you need just to be successful right out the gate, so you don't sabotage yourself. I think there's a really common denominator here. Um, you know, hydration is so essential. We often disguise hunger as it's actually thirst. And so making sure you're drinking enough clear liquids every day, that's a common denominator. You know, making sure you're eating, if you're gonna eat vegetables, choose greens. Your greens give us the most nutrient-dense bite for our calorie buck. Again, it's not about counting calories, but if you're just going to take like the best things to retrain your palate and nourish you, it's greens as far as the vegetable category goes.
2: When you say nourish, I, when I hear the word nourish, I always feel like there's you should have some sense of satiety. But like when I was a raw vegan, man, I had these one-gallon bowls and I would finely chop my salad and I would eat my greens like a professional And I can tell you, there was no nourishing going on in there. It was just constant hunger. An hour after you eat, like, God, I need another bowl of these damn greens. It feels like if you're going to nourish, you better put some kind of fat on top of those.
0: A hundred percent. And, you know, and I, I think that that's where people trip up. So, you know, you can't get it from one category. You have to combine your categories. You have to have that good fat. You have to have those vegetables. You need to have those amino acids. I mean, at the end of the day, those essential amino acids are what fuel us and allow us to regulate our hormones and and flex our metabolisms and build muscle and all of the things that we need to be functioning human beings. And you can get that array of amino acids. It doesn't have to just come from a protein source. It can come from other things too. And you can combine things to get there as well. And that's what I teach in the book. It's not just one thing, you know, I, during my, my foggy phase, um, I was very much of that place before I, I really became a student of nutrition was okay, I'll sit down and eat a salad. Isn't that the best thing that I could possibly eat, but there'd be lettuce on it and there'd be cucumber and tomato and maybe an olive, (laughs) you know, and that's not enough. That's not going to give you that balance. And the sure sign for most people is after you eat that meal, do you feel hungry an hour later? Do you feel hungry 30 minutes later? And if that's the case, you've got to realize that, you know, we're all in different phases of our lives. You, Dave, need different nutrients than I do. As a female, you know, we have different activity levels. Your brain is much bigger than mine. I know that. So you need but way more fat than it's I do. It's probably less but,
2: efficient, though, so on average. We're, oh.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, but you know, you, you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. So when I think about the common denominators, you know, from there we layer on the good quality, you know, amino acid sources, which are essential. And we need them every day because our body doesn't produce them. Um, we need to make sure that we're getting enough sleep. My goodness. It, not even talking about food, but sleeping well so that we can regulate our hormones and lower cortisol and and actually keep it all together. So even beyond food and hydration, our lifestyle, how we manage stress, how we breathe, um, I, I became a student of yoga about thirteen years ago. and it was it was a life changer, you know, I was suffering from really high blood pressure. Um, It runs in my family. It's hereditary on my mom's side. But I was like, I'll be damned if this gets to me. You know, I'm an active person. I eat well. I I preach this lifestyle like something's going to give. And when I started doing yoga, everything changed for me because of my breathing practice was was conscientious. So, you know, it's one spoke in the wheel, but it's it's an important spoke
2: there's one spoke in the wheel that i i feel like might give you a, a flat tire or at least uh love handles. Uh you talk about super grains. What is a super grain?
0: <laughs> I knew you were going to say something. I was like, oh, Dave's going to say something about
2: this. <laughs> I'm not going to pick on you. I'm I'm curious. Like I, I'm here to learn, no, right? No, we're all here to learn.
0: No, it's, a good, it's a good question. So, you know, ancient grains, you know, again, I'm going to kind of lean on my heritage a little bit. Um, ancient grains coming from the time of the pharaohs where they were eating kamut and farro and spelt and um, these Except grains... the, the that, pharaohs
2: weren't eating those. The slaves were eating those, right?
0: The time of the pharaohs. Yeah. So, yes, the time of the pharaohs. But the pharaohs did eat beans, uh, for right, sure. But they, they saved yeah. the
2: grains for the people that they were sacrificing <laughs> and using as labor.
0: Okay. I mean, you know... <laughs> Just saying, here's the deal though. Like at the end of the day, um, I, I still believe there's a place for them because they are a great source of fiber. They do have essential minerals and again, I'm going to say for those people who are restrictive in their diets where they're cutting out whole, um, whole categories for whatever reason, it can be a source of nutrition for them. Now, here's my caveat. My caveat is in what quantity. We're not talking about eating two cups a day. We're talking about allowing yourself to have up to half a cup, a serving. Um, And I think that this is one of the most important things when we talk about calories is restricting certain things like a grain. It's not eating it with abandon. Um, And that's where I think that's really one of the only things in the book that I talk about restriction in terms of a a serving size, otherwise, I don't really focus on serving sizes or calories at all,
2: yeah, calories are just an outmoded concept, and there's there's still a group of people out there who just go, but it's you know conservation of energy, it has to be that way and the the single best argument I've ever found uh, for for that mindset is well then explain why in animal ranching for profit, where they actually measure all this stuff they have found a estrogenic mold toxin that they put in the ear of the animal that increases feed efficiency by 30%, which means on the same number of calories, the cows gained 30% more weight than they did otherwise. If that is possible, then this whole garbage conservation of energy thing doesn't, it it, it clearly isn't working. Like, like, if that can exist, there's something else besides calories. Uh, and, and so... I think it's time for our our consciousness as a species to understand that no, you didn't get fat because you ate too many calories. Uh, you might have eaten too many calories and it might have contributed, but it wasn't the cause. There was something else. Right. Um, but let's, let's go back to grains. So, I mean, uh, Dr. Gundry and I have written a lot about how, because plants can't run away, um, they don't want us to eat them or their babies, So they grow spikes and they grow these chemicals that are poison for different kinds of animals just to prevent over-predation. And that there are lectins in in whole grains and I I found that pretty much, I don't care if it's uh, wheat or some other grain, the vast majority of grains um, tend to cause problems whether they're short or long term uh, for most people with some caveats. Uh, If you are um, of your heritage or it turns out it's a part of Northern Italy, has the highest uh, degree of, of ability to digest wheat. However, something like 70% of kids uh, in a study that I read about when I was doing the Bulletproof Diet in Italy had problems with gluten based on some, I, I think it was a blood panels or something, they, they had antibodies to wheat. Uh, so we're, we're going through this recent ability as a species to digest this stuff, uh, but also food preparation matters. You know, it would yes. deep fried in margarine. That's probably a little bit different than if you soaked it and fermented it and sprouted it or pressure cooked it.
0: and oh, that's what I was just about yeah. to say. I mean, a lot of that is is just really how you prepare it. There are obviously a lot of gluten free grains too. So if gluten is a problem, you know, amaranth and millet, uh, black rice, things like that. But you're 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 dead right on that. The preparation can make all the difference. You know, the sprouting process can help to really diminish the the uh, you know content of the lectins, cooking it in a certain way, soaking it. So all of these things can make a huge impact in your ability to digest and process.
2: What's the best way to cook a grain if, if you're going to eat it?
0: I really love sprouted grains and they're becoming a lot more available now. You can buy a, a sprouted quinoa at Trader Joe's in a bag, you know? Um, and then allowing it to... First of all, rinsing it well. So rinsing it is very important. Making sure that you're rinsing your grains several times, three to four times with with water and then allowing it to soak. Um, I like to soak it for at least an hour before I cook it. You can even soak it overnight. So, you know, all of those things do help. But again, that goes back to being a very personal thing. If that bothers you and the digestion of it is a problem, then those are all ways that you can help to diminish the effects of that. I mean, for me personally, you know, I will have, uh, I'll cook black rice and that black rice will be in a portion that is, you know, the smallest portion in comparison to the other things that are in that bowl. And so when I wrote my recipes for the book, I wrote it from that perspective. I wrote it from, okay, if this is going to help with satiety, this is gonna help you feel fuller longer, and it's gonna give you some fiber and some some substance, and especially for those people that are restrictive, then that becomes a component of the rest. It doesn't really exist on its own, and you'll find that the recipes that I have always pair it with a good amount of fat.
2: I think that makes a really big difference. The fat's gonna make you feel full, and, and so when people have a hard time with satiety, or they're saying you know I had to have a snack two hours after my last meal. I'm like, well, you did it wrong. Either you didn't eat enough, you didn't eat enough fat, or you ate something that irritated your system so your demand for glucose went up to deal with the inflammation. So you gotta figure out what did you do wrong to cause you to need to eat when you should still be digesting your last meal. And it, there's something going on in there, and it could be, oh, I just you know lifted heavy and ran a half marathon. Well, okay, <laughs> that's why. But for most of us, that's probably not what's going on there. It, it's that there was a composition uh, or a quantity error uh, in our thing. And, and you do explain that well in the book. I, I was a little surprised to hear super grains. Like, well, you have to limit them. Are they super? Or are they sort of, like, I look at them as kind of high risk, but maybe okay for you grains. Like, what's, what's makes them so super? I mean, fiber, you get fiber and all kinds of vegetables. Like, like there's not really a hard time getting fiber.
0: Well, I'll give you an example. So, like black rice, black rice contains anthocyanins and you, don't you find those anthocyanins that's super class of antioxidants and yeah. food that are of that color so is there a merit from having like a black rice as part of your diet sure there can be um and
2: yeah. in fact it's one of the better one of the better grains um yeah, from that absolutely. perspective yeah
0: so you know there are qualities of several grains that i mentioned um and and all of the ones that i focus on in the book are gluten-free so gluten doesn't come into the fray in that category. Uh, It's really about, you know, being able to get a class of, and yes, you can get fiber from all kinds of different things, but you know, why not? If it it doesn't hurt, there is merit in getting that fiber and those minerals from a product that's inexpensive that can supplement, you know, a well-rounded approach to eating.
2: Uh, well, I mean, yeah, if it doesn't cause harm, there's nothing like a nice piece of toasty bread made from some kind of grain. Uh, I, I think it might cause harm for more people than not, but like you said, prepared right, and for certain people, it's okay, right? And and so I appreciate you calling that out as well, where um, I, I would encourage everyone, to go grain-free for a little while, see how you do, and then add in one of the grains and see, did I grow uh, a food baby? If so, that's probably worth noting. <laughs>
1: And yes, if you didn't get yes, a food baby, did.
2: and you slept really well, and you felt great, uh, and it fantastic, like that's probably compatible. So it, it's that that experimenting thing.
0: Well, you just brought something up that um, I think is really important. Is you know we just launched a program called Eat to Thrive, and it is a guided program that helps people navigate through the book in a little bit more detail. And in every section, I encourage people to write down how they feel. It's not just for the sake of, you know, busy work or homework, it's you really don't realize what triggers until you start notating it. You know, I personally, uh, TMI maybe, but like I have a really hard time with eating a lot of cruciferous vegetables. I mean, it just does not sit well
2: with me. You're not alone. A lot of people have a hard time. (coughs) In fact, the Viome test. Um, and Naveen's been on the show several times. He's a good friend. Full disclosure, I'm investor advisor in the company, but they'll actually tell you, oh, you have a hard time digesting cruciferous vegetables. And if you're pounding the broccoli and cabbage every day because they're good for you, and you're one of the people who don't have the bacteria that can handle that, you're probably not gonna want to be the person to, you know, be in the car with after lunch. <laughs>
1: that's just Absolutely. how it works. Right?
0: <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, and, and you it's mean- okay.
2: It, it's okay to not eat those if that's you, right?
0: Totally. And you decide, you know, okay, well, maybe I can have them this way, or maybe I can't really have them. I mean, it's okay. There are a million other choices. It doesn't mean that you throw all of the vegetables out, but you find the ones that fit you and your needs and your digestion. Um, And at the same time, you know, you're making sure your gut health is in order. You know, a big emphasis of this book is getting your gut health, um, gut health, in order because none of this all matters unless your digestion is working properly. Um, so, you know, being able to, to give people something that they can sip on every day, uh, like our vitality tonic, we have a real vitality tonic that's made with raw apple cider vinegar, ginger, cinnamon, Um, And I encourage people to sip on something like that with their meals instead of drinking something cold, which can really slow down your digestion. So all of those little fun tips and uh, tricks that I that I give throughout the book. And then in the program, I ask people as you're going through this, like write down how you feel, because if it's not sitting well, then try this or try that. Um, Vary it up. Try this at a different time of the day, for example, so that's where the personalization comes in. I think it's, you know, if if that doesn't come across, it's so critical because there is not one size fits all. I can't eat a lot of broccoli. It's hmm. it's a bummer, but like that doesn't make you healthy, a bad like, person.
2: It just means you know. My family what works will for you. not
0: be happy with me. And, <laughs> and that's that's what I've discovered.
2: The idea of writing down how you feel after you eat is so important. One of the things that really helped me wake up to this is that I, this is going back a ways, I, I really was focused on losing this 100 pounds of fat, and I'd find ways to lose 20 pounds, gain 30, you know, lose 30, gain 40, you know, the yo-yo thing happens. Um, but I started in my notebooks at work, if I was really having a hard time paying attention in a meeting, I just couldn't concentrate, I felt like, you know, why do I feel hungover? I just make a little notation in the margin, like oh. And then you go back, like, what did I eat? And you realize, oh, there's a problem. So one of my favorite foods at the time was uh, this local shop made gyro sandwiches that were just so addictively good. And talking about umami, they had this great ranch dressing, which is just chock full of MSG, like newsflash. Mm-hmm. MSG, for a lot of people, trashes your brain function. Uh, and it certainly does for me. I eat that stuff, and I it's like I'm useless. I just want to eat a lot of sugar, and my brain doesn't work so I was doing that at lunch and on those days, man, the two o'clock thing, I didn't care how much coffee I had. It it was just like, it was this heavy fog would settle in. But by noting that, oh, on those days I do it and it was remarkable. I ordered it without the sauce and my brain worked. Like who would have thought?
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, that cognizance of little things and and you know, talk about like you figured out there was MSG in that dressing. Well, if
2: it's Most ranch people, dressing, the recipe for ranch dressing is MSG. Like you cannot make a ranch dressing. Even the organic ranch dressing you get, they put uh, hydrolyzed organic spice extracts. Newsflash, that's organic MSG. I
0: have a great recipe for it in my oh, book sweet. by the
2: way. That it actually has that ranch flavor? It's Ooh.
0: got a, a, the best ranch flavor ever. What do you use so, for
2: the flavoring? Is it nutritional yeast or?
0: You have to look at the recipe in the book.
2: Uh, well, come on. Give us just what's the secret ingredient <laughs> there. People are going to get the book just for that anyway.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a blend. You know, I think that it's a blend of the spices. Maybe okay. it's not exactly like the ranch that you get in a bottle, but it's pretty darn good.
2: I believe so, it. You, salad salad are dressings are powder, such an art. the
0: garlic. And, okay. and, you know, I think all of that combined with the I do use yogurt in that one, but it's a a probiotic-rich yogurt, yeah, um, and that really does make a difference.
2: Yeah, that's gonna make it taste good, and for people who don't handle cow yogurt very well, even grass-fed, sheep yogurt is oftentimes really compatible, the proteins in it work well.
0: Yes, yes, goat's milk, too. So, you know, I think you pinpointed that, and I think that's where we all owe it to ourselves, to, I call it the language of label You know, really kind of understanding what is in a label when you read it, uh, because oftentimes it does look like a foreign language and, you know, then you go out to eat and then you really have no idea what they're putting in it. So starting there and understanding what the additives are out there. And I, you know, I almost had to go to the hospital from an MSG attack at a restaurant that told me that there was no MSG in there. So if you're highly sensitive, really incumbent on you to do the homework and ask the questions.
2: One of the things that I discovered in in my journey and one of the things that really informs what I do at the Bulletproof Cafe in Santa Monica is that if you look at a restaurant supply catalog, there are spice mixes that are 74% MSG by weight and they are not required to be labeled as MSG. If they're seventy 75% MSG, they're required. So the cheap spice companies will make you know, a spice flavoring that's got a little bit of paprika for color, some garlic powder, and a ton of MSG, and it's not labeled that way. And so the restaurant owner who doesn't understand the the idea that how food makes you feel is more important than how it tastes, but, but you have to hit both, but um, they'll actually look you straight in the eye and they'll say, there's no MSG in here, because they looked at the label and it said no MSG, mm-hmm. but you still get the MSG hangover, that's why. And just understanding, you know, maybe I don't know what's in there, but every time I eat that one thing at that one restaurant, especially the sauces, those are the ones that usually have it. Uh, and and being familiar with some of what happens in restaurants, I was pretty strict in setting the standards for what uh, what I do in mine. And in, in your your book, it's the same way. Like, you know what's in the sauce because it's actually all food that's in the sauce. Uh, and so I, I like it that you pay attention there, but you do something else that I haven't talked about on the show ever before I wanted to ask you about. You mm-hmm. actually manufacture a fruit and veggie wash. Mm -hmm. What is up with that? Why should people pay attention to using a wash versus just cold water or something?
0: Oh, boy. I get so frustrated every time there's an outbreak, too. I just want to scream. But um, So I created a line of products called Eat Cleaner with my father. He's an environmental scientist, and he got bladder and prostate cancer and was told to avoid raw food in general, anything that was uncooked, especially raw produce, um, leafy greens in particular, because they are the number one cause of foodborne illness. Most people think that it's chicken or beef or eggs, and that's they're not even in the top five.
2: I'm going to have to disagree with you about uh, leafy greens being the the top source of foodborne illness. It's industrial feedlot animals whose crap is sprayed on the greens that's the source of well, those bacteria
0: Sure, <laughs> sure. Now, this is the part that just slays me that drives me crazy is that we we have not gotten to a point where we have a, a true kill step in the processing of our produce and so when you buy a bagged a bag head of lettuce that's been cut up. Do you know your risk is actually higher of getting that harmful pathogenic bacteria than it is buying just a head of lettuce and washing it yourself?
2: Oh, hugely higher.
0: Hugely high. And- so when when my dad got cancer and and you know his favorite food is salad, we were like, there's got to be a better way. Um, and he in his uh, in his master's work had created a system for chelating pesticide residue from fresh produce. And chelating is just a fancy word for lifting, something that's not water, something that's non-water soluble. So we looked at his research. Um, we looked at some of the food issues that were going on with these pathogens, why they were getting stuck in the crevices of produce and other you know foods and, and just rinsing with water would not lift them. And... We also noticed that there was a huge food waste problem growing, especially with fresh produce. So looking at all of those things, we created Eat Cleaner. And here's the truth. If I just rinse, I take a head of broccoli or I I take an apple and I stick it under the sink, the water is just going to splash over it. It's not going to do anything. Bacteria likes to hide in crevices and in the tissue of the produce. So rinsing with water, which, by the way, is not a cleanser and doesn't clean anything, is really not going to cut it. And, um, and by the way, most of our produce is waxed. So yeah. if you're buying any sort of stone fruit, plums, apricots, peaches, it's all been waxed. Even lettuces are getting waxed now because our food is traveling all over the world. It's coming from 1,500 miles away on average. They need it to last longer. So this film of wax that's getting applied also, by the way, if you have a dairy allergy, you need to be aware that there are dairy allergens in some of the waxes that are being used. So all of, all of that to say the additives, the waxes, the pesticides, the bacteria, if you're just splashing it under the sink with water, guess what? It's, it's not doing anything. And, um, we wanted to make produce healthier. We wanted to be able to take a lot of that risk away. Um, mitigating your risk is key when it comes to processing anything that's raw. So Eat Cleaner's lab proven to reduce that impact by over 99.9%. And it's been, you know, it's been done over and over and over again, including institutions like universities that have proven its validity, but, Get people to try and use it is another story. And I don't know what it is, Dave. It's like one of those things where like we we have this complacency so much with our food. And we just assume that when it's coming to us, it's safe and it's ready to eat. And if produce is supposed to be a big part of our everyday, and we're eating a lot more raw produce, shouldn't we think about how it's been handled and processed a little bit more?
2: About maybe three, four years ago, I had a salad in Phoenix. And the next day, man, I'm like, okay, this is not the same as street grade MCT oil uh, as opposed to that good brain octane that I make. Yeah. Um, I-, I had just 10 times a day sprint to the bathroom and hope you make it. And I went to. Three different GI doctors, and I started having weird, like bizarre dreams, and I mean, I was really uncomfortable. And no one could figure out what it was. They looked at these samples, and and it was it was like a four month problem from a damn salad. And mm-hmm. eventually, I went to uh, to New York City uh, at the uh, referral from a, a friend to an eighty plus year old expert in tropical diseases ah let's figure out what this is like let me get up my microscope and he uh uh, he looked at it his name was uh dr Cahill, and he said ah here you go you've got these two parasites including this one that if you weren't healthy would punch through your gut lining and go move into your brain and you've got giardia that's probably been there for a long time so uh and funny lab the the stool samples didn't pick any of that up Okay, this is from this is four months of feeling like crap and having a brain that didn't work as well while growing a company from lettuce. And what he said was, look, when people just first come to the US, the worst job in a kitchen is you have to be there at 3 a.m. and you slice up the vegetables for the day. Right. So oftentimes you get people who might have been in the country for a month and they may be carrying parasites from uh, the country. Oftentimes they're from tropical countries. This is of expertise. And he said, and it's an, you know, an unconscious, unaware, like no one's doing anything on purpose here, but all it takes is one little mistake, and you were just unfortunate, you got some of that. Um, if that had been, the lettuce had been washed, no restaurants wash it; they just hose, hose it down if you're lucky mm-hmm, yeah. uh, with water. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that was really unfortunate, but for me, I'm grateful that he said, here's the, you know, the, the pharmaceutical that's gonna fix it, and three days after I took that pharmaceutical, yay, go pharma. Uh, I was fine again, <laughs> and all the natural herbal everything's, and I know a lot. Nothing touched it. So nothing more. Th- That's why washing your produce, or this is going to sound crazy, just cooking your vegetables will solve the problem. But no one likes a stir fried salad; it's just not the same.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, all you have to do, and I'm so sorry that that happened to you. It's it's so frustrating because you want to do the right thing, so of course you're going to choose, you know, something that you perceive to be a healthier choice. But the truth is, we have all of these handling um, questions, we have cold chain questions, we have, you know, runoff from KFOs that are running into our, uh, our farms questions, we have, you know, no kill step, we have processing facilities that are processing just gobs, I mean, literally tons and tons and tons of produce through and I'm, This is somebody's going to get mad at me for saying this, but I'm just going to tell you because I know through uh, a flume that has really like all it has basically is chlorine in a very small amount. And just the massive amount of produce that that's going through that there's just no way that it can come out clean on the other end. So I think it's a big missed opportunity. You know, I've dedicated the last 10 years to eat cleaner and bring awareness to this subject. It's not a sexy one, but until you get sick, until you're in a position like you or somebody that gets kidney failure because they've had a romaine lettuce salad or they end up in the emergency room because the kale that they got in their juice at their local juice bar was contaminated with, you know, listeria or or e coli or salmonella or any one of those. I mean, until that happens, I don't think it really hits people you know
2: when they sequence the genes of the bacteria that's making people sick from salad, it's always from cattle who are fed lots of antibiotics and got uh, antibiotic resistant bacteria that then contaminates the water that then contaminates the soil that then gets into the lettuce or it can come for people but it's always the species that went through that that problem in our food chain which is why i just tell everyone don't eat industrial raised meat, be a vegan instead of eating that and very soon we'll stop making that stuff because no one will touch it. But it's also affecting your salad. And there's a a cost saving tip that I just love to offer people. Decide to buy a whole head of lettuce and wash it properly and you'll save so much money that in oh, a month or two you can afford to buy a $90 chef's knife, like a really nice one that stays sharp forever. And there's something incredibly satisfying as a chef and yeah, I've also written a cookbook uh, and I, I, my way of expressing art is either writing books or in the kitchen, I'll tell you, having a really good knife and a good cutting board and cutting stuff, <laughs> it actually feels good to go through a head of lettuce, and if you're oh, like, no. I spot a bag to save five minutes, you actually re- increase your cost, reduce your likelihood of being healthy, uh, you didn't get food that was as fresh, and if you're going to have the head of lettuce, you can then use an appropriate wash like the one you make on it. So. Now you've got a salad that tastes better, it felt good to make it, and you can rinse your nice $90 knife off and it'll be in, a, in its own little shrine in your kitchen when you realize how good a good knife feels in your hands.
0: A hundred percent, I mean, that goes back to the whole psyche of preparing your own food and having a connection with it. I mean, I know, you have you tried our products? You've tried our products, right?
2: Yeah, I've tried the vegetable food wash, food
0: yeah. The cleaner, yeah. Um, when you see the difference, in how your food tastes and looks after you've washed it and what is left in the bowl, it's amazing. I mean, I often will you know, do, a, if I do a demonstration and I wash it and you see all of this horrible residue, nasty stuff in there and I'll pour it into a cup and I'll say to people, would you like to take a sip? And they look at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, well, you, you basically just ate it. You know, what's the difference between sipping it?
2: Yeah, that's it's true. I'll, I have to say I, I do get to cheat because uh, when I'm at home, we grow all of our own vegetables in a garden that has nothing bad in it. So I will pick a piece of lettuce right off the plant and I'll eat it. And I got nothing going on in there except whatever bacteria were supposed to be there. Um, but that is, unless you're a backyard gardener and you know where your soil came from, you probably don't want to do that.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, and that's great. You still want to wash it though. And I'll tell you why, because, you know, sometimes you will get rodents that do their business. Yeah. Sometimes Snails you'll and get birds, yep. yeah, birds and, and all of that. So I, I still encourage people who are gardening to still wash it properly. You know, at the end of the day, it's again, mitigating your risk, but I, I couldn't agree with you more. There's nothing more satisfying, and more delicious than growing your own best possible scenario, growing your own, washing it, preparing it, and then eating it with the people you love. That to me is like the perfect union of all, of all.
2: That does make your food taste better. Well, Maria, I've got one more question for you in our interview today. And given that you've learned so much about how to eat in a way that works for your body and, and you're very health conscious and all, how long do you think you can live? Like what's your upper, what's your upper limit with what you know
0: today? Uh, my son made a comment to me the other day um, because, you know, I turned 50 this year and I'm getting married next year.
1: Congratulations. And, uh,
0: thank you. And he he said to me, you know, you're just, you're just entering into the second half of life. You're going to live to be at least a hundred. And I said, hundred. I said, what about like 110, 120? Yeah. He like, Oh, he goes, can you live that long? And I was like, sure. People live that long. And then I was, we were talking about blue zones and stuff. And you know, I, I will say I would love to at least be a hundred in a healthy oh, state yeah. where my mind is functioning. Um, would it be great to live to 120 if I could get to see my My great, great grandchildren, but I'm still like, I still have my wherewithal, you know, still have my bodily functions, of course, but not if that's compromised.
2: So then you got to tell your son, no, you're not, it's not the second half of your life. For me, you know, I'm about three years younger than you. I just celebrated my 26% birthday.
0: I love it. Yes, <laughs> so,
1: that's
2: what I'm just starting to Yeah, bump, bump that number up a little bit because if that's your goal, you'll unconsciously do some things to make it more likely to happen. And even if you don't hit your goal, you'll probably have a highly functioning brain and body for a lot longer than if you don't do anything. So uh, your, uh, your book and uh, taking care of your produce and just taking care of your body, all those are part of the things that are gonna get you there, at least I believe so. So thank you for writing, uh, writing it.
0: Thank you. And I, and I, you know, I really, if I can just give a little shout out to sure. my grandfather. My grandfather um, lived to be 93 years old. And he, until maybe four months before he passed away, um, I was living with him in Egypt. And we were walking to the market about half a mile away. And he was carrying, and I'll never forget this image, two huge watermelons one in each hand coming back from the market. And I was like, Giddu, Giddu means grandfather in Arabic. Let me carry one of the watermelons for you. That's too heavy. And he said, no, this is my exercise. And I need one in each hand to keep me balanced. <laughs> and, and I will never forget just the vibrant light that he was and how he ate. He knew so much about nutrition. He's the one that really introduced the whole concept to me and keeping fit, keeping his brain exercised, and I, he, he was just the model to me of what a balanced life looks like, and, uh, and, and that is all I could hope for. Uh,
2: we can learn a lot from our elders, and one of the secret strategies uh, behind why I wrote uh, Superhuman was that I would like there to be more elders around who have brains that work and have lots of energy so that I can learn from them so that I'll make less mistakes because uh, I'm tired of uh, tired of making mistakes. So I want to learn from people in 20, 40, 50 years older than me who can say, you young whippersnapper, you got to do this different, because maybe they I right.
0: love that. Yeah, he would tell stories like they happened yesterday. You know, yeah. he would talk to me about meeting my grandmother and in profuse detail, the scent she was wearing, the color of the ribbons in her hair, um, what they drank that day, the, the temperature of the air. I mean, it's it's like a, the detail and the, the beauty of it just takes me to another place. But I agree with you. We need more elders around that can influence the next generation in a positive way.
2: <laughs> well, you, uh, you and I are working on developing our wisdom so we can be those elders someday. You share yours, not just in your book, uh, but you also have a Facebook Live show called The Real Dish, which has become real popular. But the best place to find you and find all of your stuff is uh, eatcleaner.com, if I have that right.
0: Well, that's it, eatcleaner.com. We have uh, all of our products and programs and the book and a podcast also for people to listen to called Recipes for Your Best Life. And just, you know, the wisdom for whatever it's worth of, of being in this food world for a very, very long time, trialing it, guinea pigging it you know, testing it on other people and at the end of the day, it is about bringing people together. I always say, hashtag, you know, sharing is caring, but the more we can share good food and and this kind of wisdom, like what you've put into this world, and I've always been a huge fan of yours, so thank you for that.
2: Thanks, Maria. I appreciate (laughs) you coming on the show. Keep sharing your work with the world and you know, I think people are, are finally just waking up to the fact that if you do some things better in your food, you'll be nicer to other people, and it's a, it's a long-standing, multi-decade mission, but eventually we're going to make the big food companies behave themselves so they'll stop selling us crap. Yeah. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. Keep doing what you do.
0: Thank you, Dave.